0: Over the past uh, three weeks, we've been talking about certain practices and relationships and experiences that we encourage everyone here at Renew, this church community. We encourage everyone who's involved in this church community who says, this is my church, this is the church I'm a part of. We encourage you to regularly engage in some of these practices and these relationships and experiences for your own spiritual health and growth. And so this teaching series has been about heart-building habits. And heart-building habits are really quite important. Just like our physical heart. If I'm going to keep my physical heart healthy, I opened up this series talking about my brother who passed away in December. He had a massive heart attack. And I spoke about his health. And if we're going to have a healthy heart physically, that means we have to watch what we eat. We have to watch what we drink. We have to do a little bit of exercise. We might have to moderate certain things in our lives. We might have to abstain from some things in our lives for us to have a healthy physical heart. And it is the same with our spiritual heart. Our spiritual heart has a certain set of requirements that are necessary to keep it healthy and to keep it growing. And so what I've spoken about over the last number of weeks... Around our church community, these heart building habits for our church community. Uh, What I've spoken about is the importance as the people of God that we come to connect with God and come to connect with others in the church. And we do that through regular assembly when we gather on Sundays. The importance of coming together for worship on the Lord's day. I can't tell you how important that is for. A person who professes to be a follower of Christ. The scripture says that Jesus found himself in the synagogue on a regular basis. It says it was his habit. And this should be a heart-building habit for us too. It really and truly should be. It's something that builds our walk with God. We don't come to church for the sake of ticking a box. We come to church to say, God, I come to express my adoration of you. My worship goes to you. You are the living God. I'm reaffirming to myself that I'm not alone in this world. That you are the one who will carry me through. You are the one who will help me solve problems. You are the one who will help me get over mountains. I've come to worship you. I'm thankful for what you have done through your Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we come. That's why we come to do it together. And then I spoke about the importance of participating in small group community. It's another heart building habit. And small group community really can be a, a really great. Heart-building habits when you're getting around in a smaller group with people and talking about some of the things of God and you're praying together. Very often you leave that and you go, Oh, that was, that was good. I, re- I, I enjoyed what that person said. I liked what that person sh- shared. That really encouraged me. I was able to bring something to everyone and we prayed about that together. I, had, I was part of a small group community on Friday evening and um, that's what was happening. And I left there like, Thank you. Thank you, God. I, ha- I had a great evening. So it can be a heart-building habit. So we encourage that. And then last week I spoke about us, coming together to build this church for Renew to be a disciple-making community where all of us offer up our time and our energy in some way to ensure that the church works properly, right? And that God's work gets done on earth as He's decreed it in heaven. So I've spoken about those things. And I really, 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 as we wrap this up today, I really want to tell you I believe with all of my heart that if we make a decision to follow Jesus, if we make a decision to engage with God and integrate these kinds of spiritual habits into our lives, we will be strong spiritually. We will grow spiritually. We will deepen our walk with God. I'm certain, dead certain of that. There's going to be health and vitality in your relationship with God. That communion, communion with God is going to be deep. It's going to be strong. And really, that's my prayer for every single person who's a part of Renew this year. My prayer is that by the end of 2023, the people of Renew look back and go, you know, this has been a key year for me. God has done some things. God has shown me some things. I've grown stronger in my relationship with God. Okay. All right, we can all go home now. I'm done. I'm done with my summary. Okay, one more to go. I'm going to talk to you today about something. <clears throat> that um, I don't talk too much about here at Renew, our church community. I, uh, in fact, Renew's been going for two years, and I've never spoken about this. I've never ever spoken about this uh, on, in a Sunday gathering here at Renew. Anybody want to guess what I'm going to talk about? Mammon. <laughs> yes. Money, that's it. I'm going to talk about money today, um, and I just want to say, if you're visiting here this morning, or if this is your first time, or if, you've, if you're kind of new to Renew, please don't leave here and go and tell other people, I went to this church, and there they go again. That's all the church goes on about, money, 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 money. That would not be correct about our church. You, you, would, you wouldn't be correct to say that, right? Um, in fact, if you hang around here. You'll see that we, 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 we don't take up an offering on Sundays. We don't pass around plates or bags or big buckets and do a shakedown on a Sunday. We don't do that, right? We don't harp on about money from, from up here. But I want to tell you this, and this is a big but. It's important that we understand how to treat money and wealth as followers of Jesus. We need a redeemed and renewed relationship with money, with, finan- with our financial status, with our wealth. And Jesus actually warned us about this. He said that money and wealth can compete with our devotion to him. Jesus said this in Matthew, "No one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other." And then Jesus says he explains what he's talking about over here. He says, "You cannot serve both God and money." So I'm going to talk about money this morning and I'm going to talk specifically about the grace of giving because Giving is the way to counter our devotion to wealth uh, and money. The way that we counter uh, counter that drift is to say, God, what I have in my hands has been given by you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor you with this by giving. And the Bible tells us that every Christian life essentially should excel with this grace, this grace of giving. This is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 8.7. He says, to this church as he's writing to them, he says, just as you excel in everything, he's writing this letter, he says, you excel in faith, man, you guys excel in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, I can see it, and you, you excel in your love for us, Paul says to them, and he says, see also that you excel in this grace of giving, see also that you excel in this grace of giving, and we might read these words and say, if this was a letter from Paul to the church here at Renew, he'd be saying the same thing, excel in this grace of giving. The grace of giving is a heart-building habit. You know, my my cultural and my ethnic uh, heritage um, certainly wouldn't portray me as a giver. My my ancestral roots are Scottish. Uh, If you know anything about the Scots, you know that they're quite tight. They have a reputation for not parting with their money very easily. Oh, hi. Parting with my money is an emotional experience, you know. That's my heritage. And in fact, you don't have to be Scottish. You don't have to have an ounce of Scottish blood in you for this to be true of you. We are all susceptible to putting wealth and money on a pedestal in our lives. And it doesn't matter how much money we might have or how little we might have. Money, if it's on a pedestal in our lives, will pull us away from God. It will pull our devotion away from God. And I just thought I'd highlight a little bit of how this happens. You know, how this happens to us in our lives. I don't know if any of you have done this. In fact, maybe I should ask the question. Have any of you ever compared yourself... To people who have more than you. Thanks for those who are being honest. The others, we'll pray for them. I think we've all done this. We've all looked at people and gone, Oh man, look at that. I wish, you know, and, and we've had that little bit of, that surge of envy, that surge of like little bit of jealousy, you know. How come they get that and I don't have that and, 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 and God, why, why are you not blessing me like they, you're blessing them? You know, we, we all have this kind of thing and that is what money does. More, more, more correctly, that's what the enemy does through this filthy lucre, right? It, it, it does, money does not cause us to look at people who have less than us it causes us to look at people who have more. And there's something really, really, really deep in the human heart here. You know, I was, I was with someone recently who was showing me this estate on which they live, and they really live on a beautiful estate. This person lives in probably one of the mo- more magnificent homes that I've ever walked into. This, ho- this home is palatial. This home is, is beautiful. It was, it was just just, I was drooling with like, envy. Like, I had to do a self-correction after it. Like, I was just blown away by this home in which they have. And this person was showing me this estate in which they lived. And they, um, go, they go down to this one part of the estate where all the other people on this estate live along this river. And, and there are all these other big mas- mansions along, along this river. And this person says to me, um, that's where I want to be. I want to be there. I want to be there. And I thought to myself, what do you mean you want to be there? What's wrong with what you've got? There was no contentment. They, lived in, they live in a house, I'm sure that's probably better than perhaps any of the houses we live in. But yet, they were not content. This person was, think, was looking at what those rich people have down there, their view from the river. That's where I want to be. That's what, that's what was going on in their heart. There's something deep in the heart over here. This is what the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 14.30. A heart at peace gives life to the body. But what does envy do? It rots the bones. And that's, that's, what, that's what money does. That's what finances do. That's what your wealth does if it's unredeemed. And when I, when I say that if your, if your money is unredeemed, what I'm saying is that you haven't surrendered that part of your life to God. And I know many, many believers, when it comes to their finances and their wealth, they go, Ooh, 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 no, no. God, you can do anything else, but don't tell me what to do in this area. This is the this is the area I'm in charge of. And it's and it's unredeemed because you haven't surrendered it to God. And so the enemy can use that area of your life to deceive you. And so you won't even see what's going on in your heart. You'll never th- ever think to yourself, Well, maybe I've got a greed problem. I'm always looking at what other people have. Those kinds of thoughts will never go through your mind. Because money will say, you don't have to worry about being greedy because the greedy people are the ones that are richer than you are. You don't have enough money to be counted as greedy. That's what the enemy, that's the kind of narrative the enemy will fill your head with. You know, interestingly, Jesus was talking to a crowd one time. And this group of people that he was speaking to were mostly poor people. In fact, very poor people. Way poorer than than you and I. This is what Luke 12, 15 records. It says that Jesus said to this group of people, he said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And then Jesus says, because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, this is a highly unusual statement for Jesus to make. He he never said this about other issues. He never said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of murders. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of adultery. Jesus never said anything like that because because those issues were well defined. It was a clear-cut matter. You knew if you were in the right or if you were in the wrong on those issues. I mean, nobody gets halfway into a killing and goes like, Oh, I think I might be committing murder over here. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Nobody does that. Things like murder and adultery and stealing and lying, there's a really clear cut. But how do you know when you're being greedy? See, one of the things that money will do is it will lure us into thinking that, you know, that as long as there are people like Elon Musk and Bill Gates and Gina Reinhart and... Andrew Forrest and Richard Branson. As long as, those, as long as those people are in the world, then surely those, those, those are the people who have the greed problem. Not me. I'm okay. But Jesus says over here, he says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Your life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And the strangest thing about possessions is just who possesses who. Who possesses who? You know, when I was younger, my car was my treasure. Seriously, my car was my kingdom. That was the place that Andrew reigned. I hated my car to be dirty. I I wanted my car to be spotless all the time, to look like, I wanted to keep it as br- close to brand new as I could, right? The outside was immaculate. And I, you know, I'd be getting bits of tar off, and the inside had, had to be like just so totally, turt- it still had to have that new car smell. That's how much I, I really loved my car. And then I got married. <laughs> and I won't go there. But then we had children. And with my two sons, Adam and Jude, I was like, listen, if you're in my car, you sit still. You will not eat in my car. You will not drink anything in my car. Don't, if you're not in my car, don't play anywhere near my car. Right? Don't breathe on the car. Don't even look at the car. That, that, was, my, that was my whole, like, you know, if it's mommy's car, I don't give a, what the heck, do as you please. You know? But listen, boys, if you violate any of my rules, you will surely die. <laughs> Strange thing. We call them our possessions. And I think we do that because they end up possessing us, don't they? And when that happens, we forget our dependence on God. And so money and wealth can be very, very deceptive. It can be a big tool in the hands of the enemy. You know something else that money does is it causes us to worry. One of the things that people worry about most is money. And I've heard this from the mouths of many, many people, including my own. Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew 6.25. He said, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. Don't even worry about your body, what you're going to wear. And you know, it's strange because... I have the illusion that what I need to stop me from worrying about money is more money. If I just had more money, then I wouldn't worry about money. But more money does not bring any relief from worrying about money because, let me tell you something, the more money you have doesn't stop you thinking about money. doesn't stop you thinking about wealth and finances. And, you know, we live in a world where there are so many people who have so much less than we have. So many people who are struggling, and I mean, Really, really struggling. But how often are we saying, Lord, is there anything that I can do to help those who are less fortunate than me? How often are we stopping to say, God, is there anything I can do in this situation? You see, when 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 money tries to pull me away from God, it's 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 never gonna create in me a tender heart towards the sufferings of other people. What money's gonna do is it's always gonna cause me to be preoccupied with, with worry over that area of my life, my finances, my wealth. Another way in which money can deceive us is to make us think as Christians that you know, this idea of giving is a good idea. You know, it's a good idea in theory, but, but really if I've got to put that into practice, then ah, not, not such a good idea. Maybe it's just a bad idea. There are a lot of folk who, who live like this. They, they think, well, you know, the, the whole idea of giving is a good thing, but when it comes to your rubber hitting the road in your life. Then, then we go, ooh, handbrake. And Jesus would often say things like this. This is Luke 30, 38. He, Jesus said some striking things. One, one of them with these, was this statement. He says, give and it'll be given to you. And then Jesus says, you want to know how it's going to be given to you? You know how I'm going to give to you? I'm going to give you a good measure. And what we're going to do is we're going to press this down. We're going to shake it together. We're going to really get this in there. And in fact, we're going to let it run over. Running over, poured into your lap. And then Jesus says, for with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Now, there are a lot of churches who love this verse. And I've heard a lot of ministry around this verse. And i just got to tell you this morning, this verse is not some magical way for you to get rich. Okay, But I do want to say that there is a dynamic that you step into when you begin to give when you begin to become a giver, the blessings that God puts into our hearts, this is what the verse is saying, are more generous than, than we could ever possibly think of, that, than we could ever possibly contain. But those blessings depend on the spirit in which we ourselves give. I'm definitely not into the whole prosperity deal that we hear from certain parts of the church. And in fact, I cringe sometimes when I hear what people say. I've been in church communities, and when they start the shakedown, I just want to leave. Open up your wallet, empty out your purse, pop your ring in the thing. I've been in those kinds of church meetings. In fact, I watched online another major church movement the other day where one of their big teachers stood up and got manipulative. He said, you know, he said, the sheep get sheared. We shear the sheep so that the sheep can give its wool. And if we're sheep, we're called sheep as Christians, this guy was saying, well then the way we sheared is to give. And it's manipulative. And it's arm twisting. And I hate that kind of stuff. But I want to tell you this this morning. The truth about me and my life personally is that I give. The truth about my wife is that she gives. And another truth is that we have seen in our lives just how generous God has been to us. God has undertaken in ways that have been so surprising. A little over two years ago, we had a bit of a train smash, and, and, and I, I was in a corporate setting, and I stepped out of that corporate setting, and uh, that whole deal went south. And, and there were a couple of months where we, we were going, Lord, Lord what's going to happen? And I promise you, I never asked anybody. I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I'm a bit proud. But some days, I'd open up the post, the letterbox, and there'd be, there'd be an envelope with money in there. And I'd go, Lord, seriously? Somebody put five thousand dollars into our children's education school fee account, Pfft, just like that. I, I still today don't know who that person was. So I can tell you that out of the giving, I have seen God's blessings come come our way. Um, God is not a magic genie. God is not a God who's going to make you rich, but 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 you can never outgive God. You just can't. And when you live a life of giving, God will return that. He will return that into your life. I've never, ever known anyone who's stepped into a life of generosity and regretted it. But the thing about unredeemed money, the thing about finances and wealth that you're holding on to and you're saying, God, you're not getting into this part of my life. The enemy will use that to whisper to you, you know, yes, going to church and the giving thing is a good idea. Yeah, it's a good idea, but not for you. You, you shouldn't go there. You can't afford to do that. That's what it'll do. Paul has this really striking statement when he writes to the church at Corinth about another group of believers Yeah, This is 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. And Paul's actually talking about a a Macedonian group who raised money to give to the church at Corinth. And as Paul's talking about these Macedonians, he says these Macedonians were in the midst of a very severe trial. A very severe trial. But he says in the midst of that trial, there was this overflowing joy. And even though they were, ex- they were in extreme poverty, because of this overflowing joy and, and, and this extreme poverty coming together, Paul says it welled up in rich generosity. They collected all of this money to give to the church at Corinth. And it's an interesting equation. Overflowing joy and tremendous poverty equals rich generosity. You know, one of the biggest lies that money spreads is that what's keeping you from being generous is a lack of funds. Very often, that's 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 the, the lie of the enemy. No, you can't be generous because you don't have enough money to be generous. So it's it's a lack of funds, and and then you get into this thinking, this cycle of thinking that that when you have more money, then you'll become a generous person. When you have a little bit more, then you'll have a generous heart. But the only reason why you're not giving right now is because things are pretty tight. Things are not going so well. But one day, when you have more money, then you'll be a generous person. And the sad reality. For believers is that you are effectively presenting, uh, preventing, not presenting, preventing the blessing of God from being poured out into your life, in a manner which is running over. Because with the measure that you use, Jesus said, in other words, the level of your giving is going to impact the measure in which you get in, in, in return. Something else about unredeemed money is that it, it gets people to, to um, avoid clarity about their financial reality. And, 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 you know, people really pay a big price for, for this. What happens, and, I, and again, I've seen this in the church, where somebody begins to feel a little bit bad about their financial circumstances, their financial life. You know, maybe they've been spending too much or they haven't been saving enough or they get behind in their bills, they've got debt, they've got credit issues. And so it creates some level of anxiety and maybe some kind of sense of guilt. And what happens with some folk is they just just don't want to deal with the reality. They want to avoid the reality. At the precise moment that they need the greatest clarity about what is exactly going on in their financial situation, at the precise moment when they actually need to sit down with somebody and figure out, how much am I in debt? What do I have? What are my resources? What is my capacity? At the time where they really should be doing that stuff, they run in the other direction. And they think, well, maybe God's just going to do something. And they go into avoidance mode. And all too often it leads to disaster, just hoping that somehow God's going to bail them out or something's gonna, somebody's going to do something to help them. And if that money, if that part of your life is not redeemed, the enemy is going to do all he can to bring that kind of disruption. So those are just a couple of there's many ways, but those are just a couple of ways this, this morning that unredeemed money can pull us away from God and away from the kingdom life that Jesus calls us to. But it's not the whole story. The stuff that we have, the value, the, the wealth, the money, the possessions it's, it's God's idea. These are all God's ideas. And God doesn't intend for these things to go away. But what God wants is for that stuff to be redeemed in our lives. In other words, God's wanting us to surrender what we have, to hold what we have with an open hand before him. That's what God's looking for, to say, I've blessed you with all of this stuff. How, are you holding on to it like this with a tight, clenched fist, or are you holding it with an open hand before me? This is an unredeemed stance. This is a redeemed stance. And the reason why God wants it to be redeemed is because wealth, money, finances, all that stuff, our possessions, can be a force for good, can be actually something that draws us closer to God. When you've got heart-building habits in your life around money and wealth, you can admire without having to acquire. Let's say that together. Admire without having to acquire. Yeah, because, because if you go to the Joondalup, the big white cathedral there in Joondalup after the service, you'll find lots of people wanting to acquire and very few admiring without wanting to acquire. And, and because... That's the message of the globe. That's the message of the world. Buy, 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 buy. You need this, you need that, you need the next thing. And and sometimes we go off and buy stuff and we, we actually don't even really need it. But we've just fallen for, the, for, for a lie. And so we, that's why we need heart-building habits around our money and our, and our wealth. When that when we have those kinds of habits going on in our lives, we become generous people. We can actually live a blessed life. Here's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Um, this is Philippians 4. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, a lot of times you'll hear those words, I can do all things. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And that's a good line, but it's often out of context with, with, with the, the scripture over here. The actual strength that Paul um, is talking about is the strength to say, I don't have to have everything the world tells me I have to have in order to be content. In fact, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. I've learned the secret. Contentment is something that you learn. It's not something that you buy. The message of the culture is, you could be content if you have this. Go and buy this, then you'll be content. Paul says, no, 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 you learn about contentment. And he says, I've learned the capacity for contentment even in situations when I'm hungry. Even when I'm in want, I can be content, not through my own power. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul's saying, I'm not going to wait for my situation to make me content anymore because situations change, don't they? If there's anything that we should have learned by now, it's that things change. Finances, markets, cash flows, they go up and they go down. You have them and then you don't have them. Money comes and money goes. One day your bank account's looking good. The next day you're going, whoa. That's the way of the world. But you know, with heart building habits around money and wealth, you can still have a blessed life. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. Despite your wealth, you can have a blessed life. Listen, Jesus Jesus didn't say it's better to give than to receive. He didn't say you should give. What did Jesus say in Acts 20, 35? It's more. More blessed. It's more blessed, Jesus says, to give than to receive. Blessing is a word from Jesus, I think, that describes the kind of life that we all want. But too often we get a little confused into thinking that money is going to buy the life that we all, all, all want. But Jesus, when he talks about blessing... He says "The blessed life is available, but the way that you're going to enter into a more blessed life is through giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. You'll like your life a whole lot better when you do it. Now there's a great Old Testament passage in the book of Malachi. Anybody ever read Malachi? It's a great book. And in fact, the message of the certain part of Malachi is all over the Old Testament. but in Malachi 3 verse 10, here's what God says to his people. He says, "Bring." The whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. So God's not talking about any old storehouse here. He's talking about the place where his people gather, right? He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be resources, that there might be provision within that house. And then God says this, and you don't find this anywhere else in Scripture, these words. God gives us permission to test him. He says, test me in this. Test me in this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. What an interesting verse of scripture. Anybody know what a tithe is? It's the 10th part. (laughs) It's, It's 10%. And so tithing is the practice of donating one-tenth of my income to God. And tithing in the Old Testament was ingrained in the people of Israel. Like I said, you find this all over the Old Testament. Here's an example in Leviticus 27.30. Um, God says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether it's grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. The tithe is holy to the Lord. So this was something that was ingrained into the lives of the Israelites. And I guess as the new Israelites, because Romans 11 says that we've been grafted into the nation of God, as the new Israelites, as followers of Jesus, then I guess what what we've got to do is we've just got to get into the routine, right? Real quiet in here. So if God gives you $10, how much do you give him? One. Good. If God gives you $100, how much do you give him? $10, 10 dollars right if if um, if god gives you a 1000 dollars how much do you give him 100 you just get in the habit if god gives you 10000 you give him 1000 dollars if god gives you 100000 dollars you give him 10 grand exactly if god gives you a million how much do you give god 100000 if god gives you 10 million if god gives you 10 million you come see me because we need a church building Now listen, inevitably, inevitably the question is going to come up. I've come across this all the time. People will say, what's this tithe thing? Are we legalistically obligated to the tithe? Because, I mean, now we're living under the new covenant. I mean, now we're living in the New Testament era. era. You know, we're in the era of grace. What do you mean I need a tithe? What's this whole tithe deal? The short answer is no. There's no legalistic obligation for you to tithe. It's not a rule. It's not a legalistic obligation. It's 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 not a law. But you know, I sometimes think about it this way. Would I really want to come before God and say to God, "You know, you've given me so much. You've given me your word. You've given me the story of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Um I've got all of the history and the tradition of that, plus the church, the history and traditioning of, of the church, I've got all of the teachings of Jesus. I've had His blood poured out on the cross for my forgiveness. I have the resur- His resurrection for my hope. I have the Holy Spirit as my guide. I've got all of these spiritual gifts for my calling. I have this church that I'm part of, this community, and in response to that, God, for all You've given me, I think I'm just going to give You two percent. I personally would not want to be saying that to God for most of us in our financial situation the tithe is the historic standard of giving and it's it's a it's a floor it's not a ceiling and the reason why God told the Israelites gave them rules around this was because it was like God was putting training you know training wheels on a bicycle that's what God was doing that's that's what was happening there for Israel to help them enter into a life of generosity in a concrete way. And folk, we all need to start somewhere. So some portion of our income, some percentage with the guidance of Scripture is going to build our spiritual heart. It's going to become a heart-building habit in our walk with God. But giving is not an obligation. Giving is not something that God does to raise money. Giving is something that God does to raise people. Because it's an invitation for us to step into a kingdom reality. And then, you know, scripture also says that generosity should be our not just a priority, it should be our first priority. This is again in the Old Testament, Proverbs 3, verse 9, the scripture says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. And from the first of all your produce, from the first part of what you get, honor the Lord with that. And you see the Apostle Paul speaking in the same way in the New Testament. You know, one of the things that I do every time that I honor the Lord with my giving in this church, every time I make that little online transfer, I just say a couple of words. I say, God, thank you for your provision in my life. Thank you that you've given me something that I can draw from and I can, it can sustain me and I can live with it. And I, and I say, Lord, thank you for your work in my life. Thank you that I'm part of a church community. I thank you for the work that you're doing in the lives of all this church. That's just what I pray I pray that way. I pray when I pay my rates and taxes to the city of Wanneroo every year, I pray the same thing. Lord, here's, a, here's my three grand or whatever it is that I'm having paying over for rates and taxes this year. Lord, I pray for those in authority over the city. I pray that they'd make healthy choices, wise decisions. Thank you, Lord, for the provision that I get to live in a, a city that's got parks and, and, and streetlights that work and traffic lights because I come from a part of the world that's, got, that's, that's declining to nothing. It's going back to the jungle. And I look at those things and I say, thank you, God, as I give this, thank you for the goodness of this place in which I live. I, I do that when I pay my, my gas and, and my electricity, not so much with my water because my water bill, I just want to, I think there's a bit of theft going on there. But anyway, <laughs> I um, I, 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 pray, I pray over my utilities. When I pay that gas bill over to Alinta or when I pay over to Synergy, I, I, I thank God for the service. Lord, thank you for the service that I have through this. And, and the reason why I do that is because I've got family in another part of the world who pay those bills and don't get the service. And so when I pray, I say, "God, I just want to bring a bit of heaven into this." And so I want to honor you with the first part of my wealth, but as I honor you, Lord, I want to thank you for what you've done. For God it's a heart-building habit. And it's a tough one for this is one of those areas of our lives where, where, the, where, the, where, the, where the rubber hits the road. This is where you have got to go. This is it. And that's why I think God in the book of Malachi says, I'll give you permission to test me in this. Because when God sees that faithfulness, I promise you, he's just waiting to pour out blessing into your life. Don't come to me after the service and say, you said God's going to make me a millionaire. That's not what I'm saying. God's blessing comes in very many different shapes and forms. It comes in protection. It comes in health. It comes in having a roof over your head. It comes in having the food to eat. It comes in having employment. Those are the blessings of God. It comes in having favor from other people that you need favor from. Those are the blessings of God. But what you've got to do is step out in faithfulness and say, God, I'm going to honor you in this area of my life. Instead of holding on to it and saying, God, you can have everything else, but I'm not going to surrender this to you. Because it's an unredeemed part of your life. And the enemy is always looking for a door. He's looking for ground. And if it's unredeemed, the enemy is going to make full use of that. Let's close with the greatest verse of giving in the Bible. And this verse doesn't mention money at all. I'm sure you know this verse, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. You know, in every nation, every culture, every country, Jesus has been change, changing lives like no other force in, in, in world history. But it cost God. The greatest gift was costly. Suffering, pain, sacrificing the riches of heaven for poverty on earth, bearing the burden of my sin and my guilt. It's experiencing the deaths, the deaths of death and, and hell. It was costly. And yet it gave me everything. It's given me everything. It's given me forgiveness of sin, newness of life, the power of redemption at work in me, a new identity as a child of God, so that whatever happens in any situation at a human level, doesn't matter what might happen, my security is not at risk. My well-being is not at risk. Do you want to know why? Because God has given me a hope, a hope of eternal life, a sense of security that cannot be defeated, a purpose for living, a hope in dying. Just think about that verse. God has given everything to you. The question is, will you give everything to him? And when it comes to what we've been talking about today, will you surrender your money, your possessions, your income, your lifestyle? Will you say, God, I want to give you full authority over this area of my life? And this is not a legalistic thing. It's going to look different from one person to another. We're not a church where we judge people on this kind of stuff. This is between me and God. And it's between you and God. But it's a heart-building habit. Amen. Let's pray. Let's stand as we close. Father God, I want to thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your love which overflows. I want to thank you, Lord, this morning that we've been able to gather around those tables once again. Thank you, God, that we have the freedom. It's, yes, our choice and our will, but we've made that decision to be here today to extol your name, lift your name on high. Because we know, God, that without you, we are nothing. We want our lives hidden in you. We want to be found in you. And Father, I just pray for this teaching series that we've just done around these heart-building habits. Lord, whatever it is that folk need to integrate into their lives to strengthen their relationship with you, I pray, God, that they don't hesitate, that they act on that. I pray that the power of your Spirit, Lord, would work in their hearts and minds. And Lord, in this area of giving, I pray the same would apply. Thank you, Lord, that we'd be the kind of people who have a redeemed financial outlook. In Jesus' name, amen.